I want to pray, right, spiritual author Henry Nowen. But I also don't want to miss out on anything. Television, movies, socializing, friends, drinking in the world. That's probably one of my most favorite quotes on prayer because it's just so real, right? I don't know about you, but that encapsulates a lot of my feelings or thoughts when it comes to approaching prayer. I know I should pray, but a lot of the times I don't want to pray, right? Coming to an end of a day, especially, instead of praying, I'd rather, you know, watch Netflix or just relax in my bed instead of go to the Lord in prayer. When we settle down and pray, be it sitting, kneeling, whatever it is you do, our craving for experiences feel starved in that moment and start to protest. I know about you, but I often wonder, why do I get so distracted when it comes to moments of prayer? Why is prayer so hard for me? I wanted to start this sermon from an honest place, especially as a pastor, because a lot of times, you know, you've probably been there. I've sat in your seat. You hear a sermon on prayer and you walk away with feeling like you've just been guilt tripped into doing something, like you just signed up for another chore in your life. But we know that shame and guilt hasn't changed anybody in this world. So I asked myself this question this week, when it comes to being a pastor, why is it easier for me to preach a 30-minute sermon than to pray for 30 minutes, right? I was reflecting on that question. I was asking myself that question. As I practiced prayer in preparation for this sermon, not only that, to, to ask God what he wanted to say from this text, Matthew 6, 9 this morning. We live in a society and culture that when it comes to prayer, we understand like prayer is a bunch of doing nothing, isn't it, right? Sure, you're sitting there saying some words, but there's not a lot happening. And we live in a society and a culture that even if you know it or not, there's something important about prayer. There's something to prayer that we are starved of. We live in a society and culture that we long for a deep experience of the soul. As one author says, we're living in a secular technological society that even though super advanced and even though we should be getting better, like our lives should be getting better, there's this deep, desperate rush into anything that gives us a mystical experience of sorts. Even if you know it or not, you long for this type of experience, this deep experience. You crave it. A simple example of this is Halloween this past week, right? To me, it just showcased that even though we live in a culture that doesn't believe that God exists, we long for the supernatural. Sometimes we're actually, I would say, obsessed with the supernatural, seeking to have an experience that's outside of ourselves, seeking to have an experience with something outside of our world in the unseen realm. Or take the New Age movement. For example, we talked about it here and its popularity in our culture nowadays, right? The New Age movement is basically Eastern religion contextualized and marketed to the West to scratch that itch when it comes to this mystical experience that we crave in society that we're looking for. But maybe you cringe at that word religion, right? And you're sitting here and you're thinking, Ben, I'm not religious. Like that's, I'm far from it. Okay, I'm glad you're here, first and foremost, if that's you, if you resonate with that. But forget religion for a second. Just think about all the different ways we try to satisfy or go after this type of mystical experience or a high, right? 
experience apart from religion. Some of you maybe have gotten into uh, meditation to fight your anxiety. You know, that's something that I've been hearing on a lot of these productivity podcasts nowadays, right? Or maybe you practice yoga to to relax yourself, to have an experience of some sort. So maybe uh, it's as simple as you're eating a certain way or you're in this workout routine day in and day out, or you're running five kilometers a day, whatever it is, light therapy, right? You're chasing this experience, this mystical experience, if you will, and you're chasing this high. Or maybe you don't relate to any of that. Maybe uh, it isn't that, but this whole movement into psychology and counseling, which is a good thing, hear me, it's a good thing, deep therapy, right? This this diving in, this delving into Enneagram or these personality types, because we're all on a journey to have a true deep encounter with our truest selves. As the late Tim Keller put it and has taught me a lot about writing, he said, all of this, the rushing into this discipline of the body and of the mind, the meditation, the workout regimens, the therapy and the counseling, or the new age movement, all of these things are this, a substitutes for prayer. Substitutes for prayer. For the vacuum that's left in our lives because we do not know, not, we do not pray or we don't know how to pray. If anything that I said is resonating with you this moment, let the words of Jesus in the beginning of Matthew 6, 9 be both an invitation and also a cold Drink of water to your thirsty soul. This then is how you should pray. This then is how you should pray. See, what if this deep mystical experience that you're looking for can be found in prayer? Not just any kind of prayer. The way that Jesus prayed to the one true God, the infinite one, our good father, As I pray, to some of us, the Lord's Prayer means nothing to us anymore because it's one of the most famous passages in the Bible, most one of the most famous passages in the Gospel of Matthew, at least. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, in the center of the center of the center of Jesus preaching, we find the Lord's Prayer. Meaning it's at the heart of what Jesus is trying to communicate in this sermon. Jesus in this passage is this teaching his disciples how to pray. How to enter into this experience that is offered to any of us in the room that follow Jesus. See, the reason that we did uh, a prayer series here at Port Kells Church in this season is because here at Port Kells Church, we believe that prayer changes reality. The starting point for all significant works of God is prayer. It's here that we have an opportunity to interact with the Spirit of God and participate in the work of bringing redemption to our generation and healing into our lives. That's why we're honing in on this text today. And as your pastor, as your pastors, what I want you to get this morning when it comes to prayer is this. Prayer is more about developing a relationship than carrying out a transaction. Prayer is more about developing a relationship than carrying out a transaction. Because I'll be the first one to admit, the times that I most usually pray, the most, if you will, are when I have a need, right? I find myself praying a lot when there's a need that I need God to meet. 
a need that I know I can't meet in my own power, in my own strength, in my own ingenuity. So it's easy to slip into thinking that prayer is needed when I have needs. And not only that is where you can see it more as a transaction than developing a relationship. But isn't the interesting thing that when Jesus, the one that you see pray over and over and over again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he models for us what it looks like to pray. He models for us what real depth and power in prayer looks like. When he begins to teach his disciples, his apprentices, how to pray, he starts with these two words, our Father. Relational words. Our Father. Notice when it comes to the needs part of the prayer, it's not even till the middle of the prayer that he asked, give us this day our daily bread, right? Real prayer starts with right relating to the God of the universe because prayer is more about developing a relationship than carrying out a transaction. Understanding prayer like this is the key to praying even when you don't feel like it. Even when a lot of the times it is boring. Sure, sometimes my prayer times have been great. Don't get me wrong, okay? I really sense God moving in the moment. I I feel my heart warm to his presence. I feel that he's close. And those times are great. But oftentimes, when I'm praying, it can be so much of a routine that I'm just numb to it. I'm bored in that moment. My heart is not in it, if you will. And I can easily move to not praying or forgetting to pray and just going about my day. And a lot of us operate with this idea, don't we? That, we, that if our heart is not in something, it's not worth doing. If we're not, our heart's not in something, it's not worth doing. Hence why in our culture, you know, I, I, I've been, um, what's the word? I forget. Anyways, I've done this before in my life, right? If your heart's not in your job, you move from job to job, right? Or if your heart's not in that relationship, you move from relationship to relationship. Apply that to prayer. What we have done is just built a false notion about what constitutes prayer. Meaning, we think we always need to have this ecstatic experience when it comes to prayer. Otherwise, we shouldn't do it or it's not worth doing. And although a lot of writers usually say this is the case in our early prayer lives as we start to follow Jesus, you know, the honeymoon stage, as you progress and advance deeper into following Jesus, deeper into prayer, actually, this is not the norm. But it doesn't mean that you're regressing. It actually means that you're growing in your spirituality. You're growing in your prayer. That's why they call prayer a discipline. See, prayer is a discipline. But this is where our understanding of prayer more as a relationship than a transaction is really helpful. Let me explain it like this. So me and my wife um, have been married for 15 years now, okay? We got married young. She was 20. I was 21, right? Things started off hot and heavy, right? Because we dated in high school and things were great. And we went through that whole honeymoon stage that all couples go through, right? But then when life hit, when real life hit, right? Life with kids, we got four kids, right? Things started to cool down a little bit. The the newness of the relationship started to fade away, but our love still burns strong. 
because of this one factor. One thing that we do ritualistically, right? One thing that we do without question, without fail, is that we give each other a kiss before we leave the house or before we go to bed. The reason I tell you this is a recent study on marriage points out that couples who make it a habit to give each other a ritual embrace or a kiss before leaving the house in the morning and another ritual embrace or kiss before retiring at night fare better than those who let this gesture be determined by simple spontaneity or mood. The study makes it uh, the point that even if the ritual kiss is done in a distracted, hurried, or duty-bound way, it still serves a very important function. Namely, it speaks of fidelity and commitment beyond the ups and downs of our emotions, distractions, and tiredness on any given day. It's a ritual and an act that is done regularly, precisely to say what our hearts and heads cannot always say, namely, that the deepest part of us remains committed, even during those times when we are too tired or self-preoccupied to be as attentive and present as we should be. It says we still love the other and remain committed despite the inevitable changes and pressures that the seasons bring. Hear me right, okay? I am super in love with my wife and she's in love with me. She's my best friend, okay? Trust me, the romance is still alive and well. Come on, people. I got four kids. Hello. Okay, but pop culture would look at my relationship, right, with my wife and look that the love is not super exciting or the newness of this has faded away or it's not as romantic anymore. And because of the lack of that felt emotion, they would say it's a sign that something is wrong. But the truth is this, if you haven't picked up where I'm going with this, ritual sustains the heart and love. It's not the other way around. Ritual, as small as a kiss, sustains the heart and love. It's not the other way around. Heart and love doesn't restrain the ritual. So applied to prayer and interacting with God, it's the same. Ritual sustains the heart and love, but only when we see prayer as a relationship instead of a transaction do we understand the deep implications of these two words, our Father. Our Father. As I was preparing the sermon, I wanted to take apart tons of this prayer, but I kept stumbling, I kept stopping at these two words, our Father. When Jesus says our, he's talking about all of them together. He's including himself, but he gave them this model of prayer, get this, for them to do it first and foremost together. This is important to grasp in our individualistic culture. When he gave them this model, he, he knew that, sure, they would pray it in private like a lot of us do, but he expected them, and he is emphasizing what is central to doing this prayer. It's, it's central to do it together. We see that prayer, corporate prayer, is central to the early church, don't we? Just read the book of Acts and see how many moments that they're praying together in a room or someplace, they're together praying for a breakthrough, for God to just break through in his spirit to move this movement forward and where they see an answer to prayer. See, corporate prayer has always been central to what we do as, as a church. A theologian by the name of Luther put it this way, the Lord's prayer binds people together within one another so that each prays for the other and with the other. 
We talk about this here at Port Kells all the time. To truly experience the fullness of God, we need each other. That's why we emphasize community here. That's why we meet on a Sunday morning. We open God's word. Sometimes we respond in prayer by praying for one another. That's why we meet midweek. We take communion together in our PKC communities. We need each other. You're never supposed to follow Jesus on your own. You always were supposed to follow Jesus in community. And it it makes sense also when applied to prayer. Because two quick things when it comes to corporate prayer, when it comes to praying together. First and foremost, I think it's easy for most of us to admit when it comes to prayer, most of us have learned to pray by watching someone else pray, right? A lot of us, it's maybe our parents or another family that you were involved with as you grew up as a kid, or maybe later on in your life, it's being in a corporate setting and watching the pastor like myself pray or someone else. But think about it for a second, right? Even though somebody might not have explicitly taught you how to pray, like sat you down and say, like, here's step one, step two, step three. Some of us understood, hey, prayer is just talking to God. So we just started repeating phrases that we heard or phrases that we knew to be true of prayer, right? Half the time as a kid, we probably heard this prayer. God bless this food to our bodies, right? Have you heard that prayer before? As a kid, I would pray that all the time. I had no clue what that meant, but I would pray it all the time. And that's how my kids have learned to pray, right? My kids all the time, they learn and they repeat phrases that they've heard me and my wife pray around the table. When my son Mason was five years old, all the time he would pray that uh, God wouldn't let Jesus die by getting eaten by sharks. Some, some way, somehow, he had to work sharks into the prayer because he knew that Jesus died. He just didn't know how. We fix that now, but he's 11. But my kids, right? My kids learn to pray by listening and watching me and my wife pray. So, so phrases like, thank you for this day, or cut us off from the kingdom of darkness, even though they don't know what th- that means maybe fully, they, they learn to pray that way. And that's the way that we've learned to pray too, isn't it, right? Sometimes it's reading a book on how other people pray or other people's prayers, right? And the next thing when it comes to corporate prayer, why it makes sense is corporate prayer stokes our faith, doesn't it? Right? Sometimes maybe you don't, like me, have faith to pray for that thing again because you don't see God answering that prayer. But how many times you come into a corporate setting, even though you lack faith in the faith of somebody else, the faith of another individual in the room who prays for that same thing with such conviction builds your faith. I can't tell you how many times we do pre-service prayer um, at 9.30 a.m. You're more than welcome to join us uh, before service uh, up in Dan's office, okay? And Dan, he, you know, he's just a ball of energy in the morning, right? So I come into those prayer meetings. I'm usually trying to wake up, uh, drinking my coffee. And a lot of the times I lack faith. I lack faith to see God move. And it's probably because I'm tired. But I don't know how many times when Dan's coming into that prayer meeting or leading that prayer meeting and he prays with just such conviction and passion and faith that something in me just is being stirred that I always leave that meeting ready to see what God is about to do. That's what's true about corporate prayer. That's why we ask you to respond in prayer. Sometimes we ask, say, hey, if you need prayer for anything at the end of the service, we would love to pray for you. Because not only is your faith stoked, sometimes God loves to answer prayer that way. 
I don't know how many times that I've been in a hospital room or been with somebody after service praying for something that they probably prayed for like 10 or 20 times. And all of a sudden, just because I decide to pray or because they decide to come and humble themselves and put this request before somebody else in the community, we see God move. We see God heal. We see God do something in that moment. This is why corporate prayer is so important. And this is why Jesus uses this word power. But the power of this prayer comes as he couples it with this next word, Father. Jesus teaching us to pray by addressing God as Father is revolutionary. You have to get that. It's revolutionary in this moment. Not only is the first time that anybody's addressing God as Father, Jesus addressing God as Father. N.T. Wright puts it like this, though. The very first word of the Lord's Prayer, therefore, contains with it not just intimacy, but revolution, not just familiarity, but hope. See, in this culture, the word Father, what it tapped into the idea of God being their liberating Father as a Jewish people, meaning all would have known the story that was celebrated and told was a story of God using Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery from the Egyptians. And the story recorded in Exodus, uh, in that story, God calls Israel his son. And not only that, does the language look back to the old Exodus, it points forward also to the new Exodus. When Jesus comes back and finally truly frees us from the consequence of sin and death and makes all things new. So calling God Father is siding with the liberating Father. Calling God Father is coming alongside him to work to see the kingdom come in the here and the now until the final day of liberation. When we pray, we exact that liberation in our prayers. When we pray for the sick and see them healed, that liberation is happening as we see it. When we pray for those that are addicted uh, to something and we see them free, that liberation is taking place, be it from a sin or whatever that case. That is why we pray our Father but not everybody can call God our Father. Not everyone can call God our Father. Only those who, as John puts it in John 1.12, receive, did receive him, who did receive him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, the only way we can address him as Father and align ourselves with his work in the bringing of the kingdom of God is when we become his sons and daughters. And that only happens when we realize that in the death, life, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, when we believe that, when we put our faith in that, when we receive Jesus as he truly is, we are welcomed into his family. We are welcomed into his family as sons and daughters. When we see Jesus as the King of Kings, the Alpha and Omega, the Good Shepherd, the one true God, only then do we enter into God's family and now can address him in the most intimate of ways as our Father. This is what differentiates Christian prayer from all of the other prayers out there. Because we know this, right? We're not the only ones in the world that pray, right? Muslims pray, Hindus pray, Buddhists pray, right? But calling God Father is an identification marker. That we are truly 
followers of Jesus and that are, we're in a relationship with him, the creator of the universe. Like, don't you find it interesting, right? That throughout the gospels, you probably learned to pray this way that Jesus says to pray in his name, right? And a lot of times when I pray, I always end my prayer in Jesus name, amen, right? But have you ever wondered why it never is found in the Lord's prayer? Like you notice when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he doesn't say pray in Jesus' name, right? Why is that? Why is that? Right? The answer is, we are praying in Jesus' name. See, when you say Father, you're coming to him in Jesus' name. What you're saying when you say Father, you're saying Lord God, Jesus is my sin bearer and I have received him and therefore I now have received the status of being a son or a daughter. I now have the God given and the God invited audacity and authority to call you Father and expect the kind of love that the Father has. This is the heart of prayer. Doth the great God has come near to unworthy people with the nearness of of father to a child. Prayer cultivates that relationship. Prayer aligns our hearts to the heart of God. And it's this relationship that fuels our prayer. It's this relationship that gives us the power in our prayer lives, that, w- that causes us to pray and causes that desire to prayer, enter into prayer with God. It's intimacy. It's developing that intimacy with God the Father. And what I've learned through my readings and thinking about this as I follow Jesus in my life, when I find my prayer life boring, it's actually evidence that I don't truly get this. I don't understand these words, our Father. Because truly understanding those words is to understand this. Okay, let me put it in a really simple way so we can all get it. Growing up, I, I grew up in a Christian school, in elementary and high school, okay? And uh, I don't know if it was just my Christian school, but I found that as a kid, I would always see these mixed or blended families, right? Where there was a lot of uh, kids that were adopted into these Christian families. And what amazed me as a kid and what I didn't fully get or fu- fu- fully could grasp back then was looking at these parents love on these kids who weren't their natural kids with the same exact love as their own kid. And as I've grown up as a parent, it's become even more amazing to me. Like, I love my kids, okay? Without a doubt, I love my kids. They know that. But when it comes to other people's kids, I I just don't have the same type of love for them, right? Maybe something's wrong with me. You, You pray for me. But like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is what amazes me when I'm going back to these moments when I'm seeing these adopted kids be uh, treated by those parents with the same esteem, the same honor, the same love. This is what I want you to understand. God, the Father, the way that he loves Jesus, his heir, his natural son, the way that he wants to bestow honor on Jesus, esteem, affection, and love to truly understand God as father is to understand as a follower of Jesus, as a son and daughter, when it comes to loving you, when it comes to loving me, because of the gospel, he looks at you and he loves you and Jesus without distinction. 
Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Isn't that amazing? PKC, do you believe that this morning? This is the entry into true prayer. Without getting this, you don't understand or you won't see your need to pray. You won't enter in rightly into a relationship. Listen, I know at first it, it's, it's, it's easy to think, okay, this is something simple. But here's the thing. I, I don't think a lot of us believe this. Why? Why do I say that? Because I know sometimes I doubt if I truly believe this. If I truly have grasped this. This week I was on my knees praying for this sermon. I was asking God, just God, you need to open up our minds and our hearts to this truth, to this reality. First and foremost, open up my heart and truth to the depth of this reality, this truth that God loves me the same way he loves Jesus. Allow that truth to permeate my being because to understand that is life-changing. To understand that is the fuel to your prayer life. Because when you understand God as Father, right? You won't worry so much, would you, right? I wouldn't worry so much. When you understand God as Father, you won't become resentful or angry when life doesn't go your way, right? Because you know he's your Father and he's in control. See, when my kids ask me for something, and I say no to them, right? The reality doesn't change that I'm still their father. They don't walk away from that moment of asking me for something and walk away thinking that, oh, Ben's not my father. My, they don't call me Ben. My, my dad's not my father anymore, right? See, when you truly grasp that God is your father, the same thing happens in your own prayer life. Have you grasped the reality and the depths of the power of these words, PKC, God is our Father. This is why this is so important for us to get. One pastor put it like this. By the way you realize that this, if, if this is true, then your prayer life is the litmus test for your relationship with God. I've heard people ask this question, how do you really know that you're a Christian, right? How do you know? That's a hard question to ask. But I'll tell you this, your prayer life is the best way to find out. Don't look at whether you're sharing the gospel day and night on the street corner. Don't look at how moral of a person you are, how much you follow the rules. Don't look at how much you know the Bible right? Because all of those things are external things, right? And sometimes being a human being, it can be motivated by the desire to look good on the outside, right? It's possible to have external kind of, of religion of sorts. They'd be motivated by how people view you, their perception of you, right? But listen to this, right? God only sees you when you pray. God only sees you when you pray. And as a result, it's your prayer life that tells you what you're really made of spiritually. So I'm going to call Mia up in a second. Because here's the thing. I can preach this point till the cows come home, but you won't get it. And in the next couple moments, I, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit does what only the Holy Spirit can and pours the love of the Father 
into your heart this morning. That those words, our Father, don't become the start to some prayer that you heard growing up or that you read once in the Bible, but become the realistic reality that you live in from this day forward. So with that, if you're comfortable, would you pray with me this morning?